bear. It does a ton of cocaine. Movies, cocaine bear. That's it. That's the review. See you next. I think the cocaine bear wrote this review before it died. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and gender non-binary folks worldwide, welcome back to Appod Latcha. My name is Chuck Corn. I'm joined, as always, by the queen of Canton, North Carolina, Callie Pruitt. we got a banger of an episode today. We're going to be talking to Justin Canoe, who is the founder of the progressive media outlet, The Tennessee Holler. Great interview. We're looking forward to it. For Under the Radar this week, we've got an update to the UMWA strike in Alabama. You're not going to want to miss that. And for our weekly list, we had to take a step back this week, guys. Last week was uh, was pretty heavy, rightly so. We talked about East Palestine, and we're not going to forget about that. We're not going to stop covering that. But this week, we're taking a little bit of a step back. We're talking about the best and funniest reviews from the major motion picture Cocaine Bear, which, as many of you will know, features native Appalachian Pablo Escobar from the Chattahoochee Natural Forest. Very exciting stuff. Very much looking forward to it. It was a, it was a lot of fun to record. Oh, my God. Uh, but first... Callie, Callie has to share in an obsession that she has that I know nothing about, which is Formula One racing. I have been waiting for this day, this week, the 24th of February, for months. Um, because the 24th of February brought me the brand new season of Formula One's Drive to Survive. Which I am, I, I've, I've tempered the, the F1 talk for the last few months because it's been the off season. They take the winter off and they start races again in March. So got, still got a couple of weeks, but they're in preseason testing right now, which I'm also watching. So Drive to Survive comes out and I have to wait the entire day because I can't watch it without Danny. So I'm like just like sitting on my hands all day Friday waiting to start the season. And I have to say I was not disappointed. It is a really, really, really good season. Okay, so I am Formula One dumb. Let's just state that for for the record here. Why is Formula One better than the national sport of the American South, which is NASCAR? So in my opinion... I really like F1 because of the engineering. Um, the it, it's it is really 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 technical, and they every season has new um, regulations. And last season was actually like the biggest overhaul of technical regulations in F1 history. Um, and I I really I enjoy that the cars are like kind of counterintuitive. Stock car racing, you basically get the same car and you're a lot of it is about, you know, just the performance of that vehicle at that one one point in time. But F1 is about engineering over the off season to come up with a car that has the technical specifications within the margins and everybody comes out with a different car. And it's it's really, really fascinating. You have different aspects of them, like different side pods. You have different um, you have different like uh, kinds of like wings and and things like that. It's real and like DRS systems and things. And so it's it's really interesting how people engineer the cars because they're the cars are run fully on downforce. So if you look at just a regular car, you can anybody can hop in a NASCAR car and just drive really fast. It's pretty intuitive. An F1 car, you can't really drive it slowly because it relies on the downforce of the speed at which it's going to be able to hug the ground because it's making such tight turns that it has to like basically be pretty much attached with velcroed air to the ground as it makes these turns and drivers can get G forces up to like nine G's in a turn. So this is really like an intensely physical sport. So the drivers have to be really, really physically fit, but then you also have this engineering aspect of it, which is just super interesting. The engines are called power units because the systems are so complicated that it goes well beyond what a normal engine could do. Um, now I'm getting into the weeds, but you did ask. 
No, I think it's interesting. I know nothing about it. I just learned, actually, when we were talking that the F stands for formula. Uh, it does. When I heard Formula One. One, I just assumed that was a brand of baby food, which maybe it still <laughs> is. I don't know. Formula One is a rich man's sport. It is. To, well, historically, yeah. Right. I mean, and you can't really get into Formula One unless you have money. From my understanding, there are only a couple of there are only a couple of drivers that did not come from money. That's true. Uh, well, I think we need a working class Formula One, and uh, don't you say NASCAR listeners, because we discussed that is not the same. It's not the same. We need a working class Formula One team. I think that the people listening to this show, we're not made up of millionaires and billionaires. We can crowdfund a racing team. I think it's going to be the Apod Latcher racing team. And we're going to brand it in the possum, our possum, Delhi. And uh, I think we're going to sweep these fucking races and teach these Europeans what's up. There's only one American driver like on the scene right now. And it's so upsetting because he's one of the most boring people in F1. Typical American. His name's Logan Sargent. I know. He, well, not tip. I feel like most of the time there's like a bombastic kind of quality to American personalities. And he's just like super boring. But this year, if anybody is asking, I am really like so he's not my favorite driver, but I really want him to win the world championship. And I think he's like he's on his way there. I think Charles Leclerc is going to I really really want him to win the world championship but my favorite driver is Carlos Sainz and my second favorite but kind of my favorite like personality is Lewis Hamilton well there you go Lewis Hamilton sounds like the most American name out of all of them he's British Sir Lewis Hamilton God he was knighted it. by the queen well uh, pre-American then yes <laughs> he's the only black driver on the grid too well, see there you so go he's awesome seven-time world champion well, I don't have a great transition from seven-time world champion to what we're talking about maybe cocaine bears a world champion of something probably eating cocaine but anyway we we decided to take it a little bit laid back because last week was was thick you know me like i can only i have a certain threshold of like seriousness most of which gets expended at my day job i will say that but when i get to take it out on this which is great we decided we could not go with another super serious topic so we had to go with a drug abusing animal, the cocaine bear. And you have, I mean, I'm sure that you've been blasted in the ass with cocaine bear ads on social media. Cause yeah. I certainly have, Obviously. you know, they are ridiculous. The, the movie is outrageous. I'm sure. Now we have known about cocaine bear for a while. In fact, cocaine bear is kind of like the John Fetterman. <laughs> yeah. Of Apod Latcha because we were on top of John Fetterman before John Fetterman was Senator John Fetterman mm-hmm. or even Senate candidate John Fetterman. Similarly, we were on top of Cocaine Bear before Cocaine Bear was Cocaine Bear, the major motion picture directed by Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. Yeah. You've been talking about Cocaine Bear for a long time. I, you know, ever since I heard about it, and it was brought up to us by one of our followers because for whatever reason, the statue and memorial, I guess is what you call it is in Lexington, Kentucky, even though none of this took place there. Wild. All right, editor's note. Inserting an editor's note here. Since recording this, we have come across information courtesy of at Biffers Bunny on Twitter that we never saw this reply back in October, but they said that the bear OD'd on cocaine that came from a former police officer smuggling it from Lexington, Kentucky, and the bear came to Lexington via the Kentucky for Kentucky organization is displayed in their store. So there you go. It's a wild story. First of all, I had to Google uh, street terms for cocaine because I had to come up with great euphemisms. Turns out, Every website you come up with, it, there are all these clinical websites like like SAMHSA or whatever the, the substance abuse agency is at the federal level. You get all these like rehabilitation websites. I was like, I don't want any of this shit. This isn't going to give me the real stuff. So what I do- yeah. you just want to You just want to laugh about cocaine. Yeah, exactly. So where else would I go but Reddit, our cocaine, the Reddit, the subreddit for cocaine, of course, because it exists. So this is about cocaine bear. We're going to tell you the story. Cocaine Bear, also known as the Bruin of Blow, who ate too much snow, the Kodiak of Coke, the Booger Sugar Bear, and Pablo Escobar. Oh, my God. I love it. (laughs) I love everything about this story. Cocaine Bear is 
a Chattahoochee National Forest native, so those of you in uh, North Georgia, I think around Blairsville is actually where he was from. And this bear, this American black bear, did what no human has ever dared to do. Eat a duffel bag full of cocaine worth roughly $14 million. And I think that figure is adjusted for inflation, but I'm not sure. So... You may be asking yourself, how did the Bruin of Blow get so much snow? Well, that's a great question. Andrew Thornton was a drug smuggler moving loads of cocaine into the U.S. when on September 11th, 1985, 9-11, whoa, whoa. Foreshadowing. That's creepy. Cocaine bear. Cocaine bear, you dirty rascal. Well, on September 11th, 1985, police discovered Thornton's dead body in a driveway and where else? But Knoxville, Tennessee. So he died when his parachute failed to open. I don't know. I guess he was parachuting out of the plane. Assuming somebody else was driving it. Yeah. That's that's the way I want to go. Mm, mm-hmm. Well, no. Not me. You take that. You, that can no, be yours. No, I jump out of plane. Yeah, jumping out of planes is my thing. But you want to just die? And, like No, I mean, like, if I'm ready to go... Yeah, hell yeah, I would jump out of a plane. It's a quick death, you know. Okay. You get to enjoy the wind in your face, see the world, the beauty. It'd be nice. All right, baller move, all right. Make it nice. Okay. Well, but now we know. Now we know for trivia later. So he died <laughs> when his parachute failed to open. He was carrying thousands of dollars in cash and about 77 pounds of cocaine and a duffel bag strapped around his waist. Later on, a hunter discovered a 75-pound bear dead close to a torn-up duffel bag with the remnants of coke left in it. The bear was discovered somewhere in North Georgia. So this bear, I mean, he he traversed a bit. If this was in Knoxville and he's, like, made it all the way down to Georgia, that's not, like, a small hike. But I guess he was hyped on cocaine. He probably ran like a motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. So that's the story of Cocaine Bear, and the reason why we're talking about the Cocaine Bear today is that our list is a list of our favorite reviews of the movie Cocaine Bear. Have you Mm. seen the movie? I've not seen the movie. I really want to see the movie. It's an Elizabeth Banks movie. Love her so much. So love her, and you know that it's going to be funny because she's hilarious. Um. So I really want to see it. Have you seen it? I haven't. I've, I, I'm disappointed that I haven't. I'm disappointed in myself that I haven't. Yeah. But I haven't. And so... We should go on the same day and trade notes. We should. And we should do a review of our, ourselves of this movie. But for now, we can only rely on, you know, the great people of the internet, which are never wrong about anything whatsoever. And you have a crop of your favorite reviews. I have a crop of mine. Would you care to share yours first? Sure. Sure. I'm very excited. Um... I've got seven. Um, mm-hmm. Number one, diving right in. This this is from a fan. A uh, fan review on Rotten Tomatoes. Exactly as advertised. If the idea of a coke-fueled bear going on an increasingly ridiculous rampage to the backdrop of 80s power ballads makes you say hell yeah, then you're in the right place. I love that. I think that that paints a powerful picture. I want to go see it now. Mm-hmm. Because also I'm thinking of power ballads. I'm thinking of hair bands. I'm thinking of bands that probably would be banned in the state of Tennessee now because they're passing their anti-drag laws. And so those are gender non-conforming uh, <laughs> people like in, in Poison and Twisted Sisters. So maybe, hell, Cocaine Bear might be like woke Cocaine Bear. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is a powerful female protagonist. The bear is... Don't give away one of the reviews. (laughs) I won't. I won't. All right. Number two on my list. It was so in-depth and beautiful. The part Mm -hmm. with the bear was a scene. The kills were deaths. It is no doubt the cocainiest movie of all time. And that review was by Gorilla H. (laughs) Yeah. Is that Gorilla Heroin? (laughs) Is that the sequel to Cocaine Bear? (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. First of all, I I just want to parse through this one because I really enjoy the sentence, the part with the bear was a scene. It sounds like something that a film critic, like a snobby film critic would say to try to evoke some greater meaning out of it other than a bear hopped up on cocaine. Okay. Right. It was a scene. I like this. 
I like it. I hope Gorilla Heroin is a sequel because I'd go see it. Yeah, the kills were deaths. I love it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's a good thing that they were deaths. I'm glad. Right, it's great. If they weren't. So this one, this one's actually a real one. So this is from Rolling Stone. The best thing about Cocaine Bear is its R rating. None of this PG thirteen Megan shit. We're here to see a man get disemboweled, bottoms up, while suspended mm-hmm. high up on a tree. Mm-hmm. The pleasures in the crass, goopy for. excitement of it. It's kind of a put on. There's something off about movies with bustling name brand casts and healthy budgets. Cosplaying is genuine B movie fare. But the movie gets by on being surprisingly blood soaked where it counts. That painted. A different, albeit adequate, picture. I like the term goopy. Yeah, vivid. That, that, <laughs> that's like the sound of what I would think taking your hand and putting it into a corpse and pulling entrails out yeah. would be goopy sounding. So I'm in. I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah. A little too real for me. I like the bombast better, but you know, Rolling Stone, they gotta keep up appearances. Yeah. Yeah, they do. This one is really funny because it starts out with kind of like a formulaic. Thing and then and then it gets to the good part. So this one, entertainment, three point five out of five. Acting, two out of five. Story, two out of five. And goes on for a little bit like this. It says at the end though, best way to enjoy this is with alcohol, weed, or mushrooms. It's got dumb jokes and corny lines which work well when the auditorium is packed. I love when you get a recommendation of like go see this movie high. I I'm gonna take that recommendation. I think because I don't think going there hammered would really have the same effect. I need to be high so I can truly appreciate it. Yeah. Because when I'm high, I like to either watch sort of more substantive comedy or just straight up stupid. Like I really like watching Succession when I've had a couple weed gummies. Like that is wild. It is. Fucking Succession? hilarious. It is so much funnier. It is it's so funny. much okay. funnier. Well, that that makes it better because Succession is just so depressing. I've seen like two and a half episodes and I just can't take it. Oh, it's fucking hilarious. Like when you're stone cold sober. It is an amazingly written show, but man, oh, just, it's it's not my it's not my bag. Hey, you know, not it. But maybe if I were high. Try it next time. Once baby Pruitt Schwaber pops out. Yeah. Pop in some of those cornbread hemp gummies and and try it out and see what you think. And uh, by the way, use our code Banjo for 25% off mm-hmm. your order from cornbread hemp. That is B-A-N-J-O for 25% off. All right. Number five. If you love bears, then watch it. Straight to the That's point. That's the review. No. I mean, I don't think I need more than that, honestly, because like... Look, if you were a fan of Grizzly Man, the documentary, maybe you'll be a fan of Cocaine Bear. Uh, one is... Number six. This movie is fucking epic. Best experience I've ever had. Changed my life, Mason. Totally love to hear. I like that. I do like Changed that. Changed his life. Okay. And you got one more. And I think one this more. one's pretty impressive. It's from a news outlet. An oh, actual okay. news outlet. It's from CNET. Which I don't know what that is, but it seemed like they put out actual news. I feel like news is questionable, but fair enough. They put out something. They employ people. So this one. (laughs) They employ people. They're real. Yeah. Number seven. Cocaine bear. There's a bear. It does a ton of cocaine movies. Cocaine bear. That's it. That's the review. CNET. I think the cocaine bear wrote this review before it died. Uh, you know, honestly, <laughs> that was written yeah. by the bear or the bear's understudy. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, what do we have here? We have we have five A's in cocaine and, you know, similarly in bear just goes on forever. Just an absolutely unhinged review. I love it. That's my last one. Uh, makes me I, I if this list doesn't make you want to watch this movie. I don't know what will. Maybe Chuck's list will. Mine certainly will. I went to <laughs> the authority on movies for this. I went to Google reviews, mm. and I didn't go with those stodgy professional movie critics like like Ebert and Roper and whoever that Al Roker, I don't know, whoever the hell else is reviewing movies nowadays, Gene 
Parmesan. That sounds um, right. Or who the hell else? Gene I don't know. Parmesan. I, Wait a second. <laughs> That's an Arrested <laughs> Development character. Yeah, it is. I totally <laughs> forgot. That was their their private investigator, wasn't it? Yes. Wild that I picked that up. But yes. He probably moonlighted as wow. a film critic. I'm then. sure he did with all the rest that he was able to do. I fucking love that show. God, it's so good. Uh, it's it's amazing. Jason Bateman, great guy. Amazing. Um, so I went to the people, the salt of the earth, the working class for this. Love it. This and I've bookended these one and five stars because I really think we need to see the full spectrum of reviews. All right. So this one first one star on Google from Adrian M. This movie is nothing like what my family thought. It is not for children. The amount of death and blood was awful. I can't believe I have ever seen such an awful movie. My husband loves action movies, and he was even taken back at some of the scenes. Go see something else or save your money. This movie is gross and will leave kids with nightmares. First of all, the movie is titled Cocaine Bear. It is an illegal narcotic and a wild animal. It's rated R. You take your kid, yeah, and that's R as in restricted, not R as in R the fucking pirate, like right. Coco Melon, whatever the fuck. Okay, if you're taking your kids to Cocaine Bear, you assume that at your own risk, and it's this is you. your fault. Yeah, it's on you. It's on you, Adrian. Yeah, come on. What the fuck, Adrian? Honestly, should call CPS on this person. You know what? Yeah. No, because Cocaine Bear sounds like a great movie. So, mother of the year. I don't know. So uh, the next one, five-star review from Jackson G, the best movie ever made. This movie was life-changing, funny, and emotional. The Cocaine Bear was a great inspirational female protagonist. (laughs) I could see myself watching this movie at least 26 more times in theaters. What else do you need other than that? I mean... We love a good movie with a compelling female protagonist, right? We do. Life-changing, funny, and emotional. That's right. That's right. And it uh, hits all it hits everything. Oscar nom right there. If that's not Oscar bait, if this movie's not Oscar bait, I don't I don't know what Oscars or what bait is. Although I'm sure you could use an Oscar Meyer baloney to bait a bear. Well, sure, but not this bear. You need some good no. old-fashioned blow. <laughs> you need you need some like <laughs> you need some, a couple of keys of, yeah. <laughs> of heroin or of, of cocaine to get this bear. This is an expensive bear to yeah. hunt. Okay, uh, this next one one star from Sydney J. Mm. This is great. I, this is like someone who takes everything in their life way too seriously. I think I personally do not find people's limbs getting ripped off funny. I actually felt quite uncomfortable sitting in the audience listening to people laugh while the actors were brutally mauled. I would have walked out if not for being there with my family. Again, the movie is called Cocaine Bear. Yeah. Also, presumably, <laughs> these people have watched the trailer because they're going to see this movie on opening weekend, which <laughs> like it hasn't had time to like permeate the zeitgeist yet. So you just like the 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 whole entire the whole entire trailer was just like people getting mauled to death. And it's like if you're te- it's not cotton candy bear. No. All right. It's cocaine bear. Yeah. Anything involving cocaine, there is violence, there is very likely death. Yeah. It's not just like a pool party most of the time in movies. Yeah. Uh, and when you have a bear eating cocaine, like it's not gonna mellow him out and make him into Winnie the fucking Pooh. No, Sydney, I'm really sorry for how seriously you take your life. Just reconsider. We can l- allow movies like this to happen. It's okay, Sydney. I'm just have an open mind, like Luke V. Five star mm. review from Luke V. Best cinematic masterpiece. Period. <laughs> Better than the better than Godfather, so I don't know if he's talking about the movie, the trilogy, or his Godfather. Could be any all of it. Better than Titanic. <laughs> there was a standing ovation. I'm assuming at the theater. <laughs> I could feel myself ascending to cocaine bear heaven as I witnessed this art. Cinema students will be studying this for years to come. Long live cocaine bear. Hot damn. That was beautiful prose. No notes. <laughs> 
amazing. I I have chills, literal chills. Luke, I'm. I want to go see this movie. I want to give this this review a standing ovation. Yeah, no, no, it's just better than okay. It's just like the first three sentences. Best cinematic masterpiece, better than Godfather, better than Titanic. There was a standing ovation. Unless you're Carl G. So this one, one star from Carl G. I never want to watch a film like this. What a complete waste of time. That was one sentence, and waste was spelled like uh, the body part, your waste. I never want to watch this film like this. What a complete waste of time. And very degrading to bears, comma, how dare it (laughs) have been passed and made. Bears are beautiful animals that deserve to be respected. One star just because I have two, and it's Gora Bear in it. <laughs> Carl. First of all, you don't have to leave a review, Carl. There's no one telling you you need to leave a review after you see this film. I just, I just love all of the misspellings. I love, I, I love that he's worried about the degradation of bears. Um. And I also love that he's, yeah, calling out, calling out, um, like, media executives. How dare it be passed and made? Well, <laughs> he wrote this in a fit of rage, clearly. <laughs> this person, or you know what? I think actually Carl G, G stands for grizzly. I think it's a bear that wrote this. Uh, I, this it might per- have been a bear. They're gonna, I guarantee you they've started a change.org petition. For this. Yeah. But you know what? Power to them. Because Tyler S. had a much better take on it. Five stars from him. Or her. Who knows? I really enjoyed the part where Cocaine Bear become him. In all caps. What? <laughs> just, let, me, let me just read that. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me read that again. I really enjoyed the part where Cocaine Bear become him. Punch. H-I-M. All caps. I... I feel like that's like some sort of, I don't know, they're implying something existential, like yeah. became what it is, maybe. Um, in fact, the cinematic masterpiece, period. It made you feel like you were really watching a film that made you feel something. <laughs> Cocaine yeah. Bear is one of the films that makes you want to rethink your life. Wow. <laughs> Tyler. Um, Beautiful stuff. Amazing. Uh, riveting. I really want to see this movie, Chuck. I want to. I I want to see a movie that makes me rethink my life because I've rethought my life a couple of times. But maybe, maybe after I see this, maybe I too will go out in the woods and do a lot of cocaine. I guess I don't know. Who knows? Maybe that is the lesson. I had to throw a three star in here for representation. Yeah. This was Got from it. Claudia C. All caps, first sentence. Do not watch this drunk. It will seem even more stupid than it is and make you some sort of film critic, okay? I love a stupid, silly movie. She is absolutely drunk writing this. I love a stupid, silly movie, but I think I need to be sober for this one. (laughs) I didn't understand what was going on. (laughs) Maybe that's a personal, (laughs) though. Maybe that's personal, though. Sorry. Should maybe stop drinking. (laughs) So this person actually did rethink their life, kind of like how Tyler S. suggested, and I think they're going to become sober. Possibly. Maybe that's personal, though. Uh, honestly, oh, Claudia, Claudia, we support you. Just power yeah, whatever, through, girl. Whatever you need. Um, that is so funny. These are amazing. Um, I, long live Cocaine Bear. I do have a bonus one, if you will oh, God, possibly yes. indulge me for one more. Yes! I found one on on IMDb, and to be honest, I really had to sift through because there was some real, like, drivel, just way too much analysis of somebody, like, like lots of people really trying to be a real film critic in this, Mm. but uh, this one made me laugh out loud just because of how honest it is. The title of the review is, and it's 10 out of 10. Okay, so this person loved this movie. title of the review is, I took a THC gummy to the movie otherwise would have reviewed right aft. Apparently they ran out of space. Oh, that's it? This movie was... Oh, Oh, no, there's there's more. There's more. This movie was bonkers of fun, and there is no punctuation. (laughs) This movie was bonkers of fun. I saw a little after 5 p.m. Thursday and was wildly entertained. 
Plenty of shock value, hilarious behavior, brutal solid dialogue, the bear madness was insane, and the cinematography was incredibly done. Bold movie by Elizabeth Banks that should be considered a hit. An interesting final role for Ray Liotta being a villain. <laughs> I'm sure the entire crew was happy to work with them regardless, though. I love Cocaine Bear. I'll want to own it when available. O'Shea Jackson? Carrie Russell? The Bear were all fantastic. Come on, my review isn't that bad, and the movie is great fun. I have autism, and I tend to enjoy more cinema than most. <laughs> <laughs> It killed me. I'm getting tickled at how tickled you are. I'm like crying. <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. We really needed we cocaine bear we after this last was, week. This was the antidote. <laughs> oh god. Oh, God bless whoever that was. I don't even know. The username was Unique Particle, so thank you to that person for that. Oh my god, it hit me right in the giggle dick. And just to be clear, for those of you listening, I'm not laughing at the fact that they have autism. That is clearly not what I'm laughing at. It's just the way that they wrote this was just so fucking funny and beautiful. And I just loved every second of it. This is such a brilliant idea. Thank you for, for um, <laughs> blessing us with this today. Oh, I'm glad that I'm glad that I came across so much cocaine bear content and thought of it. I am God. And we needed this. You're right. Um <laughs> Moving on to something equally as exciting, at least to us, is our announcements, and that means it's time to talk about our Patreon, and we got a bunch of new members who get their very own, lim- I almost said lyric, eh, it kind of is a lyric, Limerick from Cali Pruitt. If you join our Patreon, patreon.com slash for as little as a dollar a month, help support us, help support this show, and finance all the fun stuff that we do, like all of our equipment, and our merch, and yada yada, and all that, you will get Talking about Cocaine own. Bear. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll do a cocaine bear shirt. I don't know. Eh, we'll probably get sued for that. So maybe this will probably. fund uh, our lawyer. Uh, well, anyway, we had how many? Six? We have six new? Five? Six. We have six new yeah. Patreon members. You wrote limericks for all of them. Yeah. And they're great. They're all right. Oh, no, don't they're put yourself great. down like Yeah, that's right. That's the Cali Pro we know. That's what's up. <laughs> all right. Got a lot to get through. Let's get steamrolling. All right. Number one, Ian. Raise your glass to Ian. Red hair, PhD. You should see him. He's a cut above the rest, a researcher among the best. His work will one day be in a museum. Oh, that was good because that's some of those are hard to rhyme. Yeah. You know what helped me? The Adams Family theme song. I thought you were going to say the Adderall for some reason. (laughs) Uh, Adam said that makes sense. Um, number two, we're gonna go with the last name because the first name, as you'll see in this rhyme, was just impossible. So, Fraser. Whoa. Let's all take a moment for Fraser. Rhymes for her first name were thin as a razor. Mm-hmm. We're thrilled that she's here. It gives us a cheer. Shrewd as hell, her thoughts target like a laser. You did it. I did Proud it. Of you. That one was tough. This one's gonna next be even one, A lot harder. of these names were really hard. A lot of them were really hard. It took me a long time. Number three, Usovich. I hope I'm saying that right. Down your drink for Usovich. Him joining us gives us a big kick. A friend we can count on. Brand new to our Patreon. If we were asked, he'd be our perfect pick. That is better than I could do. Not that that's a high bar, but that was very impressive. And I hope that we're saying it right. If not... Thank Let us you. know. We'll, maybe maybe we'll even redo it if we... I think you nailed it, though. Thank you. Thank you. Number four, Ashley. Three cheers for our new friend, Ashley. Don't worry, she didn't come on board rashly. She'll plan your events and throw up giant tents. Hit her up, Charlotte. She knows how to throw a bashly. Wow. Who's Charlotte? Mm. Charlotte the City. She oh, oh! I thought you were talking about like a like a woman named Charlotte. I was like, well, did I miss like a did I miss a cultural reference there? No, you did not. But it okay. is it's meant to be Charlotte the town. All right, got it. Number five, Greg. Love Greg. I have an uncle Greg. He's great. 
please lift your glass to Greg. We all Fun know fact. he's a really <laughs> Sorry. That was really funny. I have an uncle Greg. He's great anyway. <laughs> we're we're all we're the two of us are operating at like we have like four brain cells to rub together. Um <laughs> so cuz I Four is sick. generous. Yeah. All right, Greg, sorry. Please lift your glass to Greg. We all know he's a really good egg, a pastor at a church. We are glad we were in his search in Apod last year. <laughs> Damn it. Greg, you're giving me problems The, the here, one buddy. that's probably like the the, the name that's easiest, the easiest to rhyme. Easiest. I'm not making it through it. Fuck. All right. Please lift your glass to Greg. We all know he's a really good egg, a pastor at a church. We're glad we were in his search. An iPod Latcha listener on the reg. iPod Latcha listener to try and put in a limerick. I won't do that again. That was hard. You're cha- I mean, you're challenging yourself though, and honestly, that's impressive because like we're on like like how many limericks have you done? Like upwards of fifty at this point. So many. So many limericks, yeah. All Ooh. right, last one, but certainly not least, Stephen. Hip hip for our pal Stephen, our wonderful new Patreon heathen. We mean that in the best. Heathens are close to our chest. Join our crew too, and he'll always call it even. I love that you worked in heathen there. That was good. That's a fun word. So today we have an interview with Justin Canoe. Great last name. He's a former contestant on The Amazing Race, former candidate for Tennessee's 7th Congressional District, and most importantly, the founder of the Tennessee Holler. The Tennessee Holler isn't... That's right. The Tennessee Holler is an audience-supported progressive news site with a series of active social media feeds that seek truth to amplify voices throughout Tennessee and yell, or excuse me, that seek to amplify voices throughout Tennessee and yell the truth about what's really happening in our state. I guarantee you, you have probably, if you're on social media, especially if you follow us, you have seen their stuff. They put out great content viral video really it's just them covering what's happening in the tennessee legislature which and is they're very good wild at it. shit they are yeah. very good at it um they've really they've amassed a great following they have sub i, I call them sub outlets they've they've got like more localized versions of the holler in memphis knoxville clarksville murfreesboro murray county coffee county the tri-cities harrogate and more to come mm. i love the holler I uh, I love this interview because what Justin is doing is what is so desperately needed in so many parts of the country, especially in Appalachia, where there is radical, especially right wing governments and and politicians who are passing these laws that the majority of people really don't want, but a lot of times they're gerrymandered in their districts and. You know, we don't like normal people don't have time to pay attention to what happens in state legislatures. You know, oftentimes it happens super fast. Like Tennessee's, for example, I think they're only in session maybe four months out of the year. Yeah. I think it's like like uh, January to sometime in April. So they pass stuff like cra- it's not like Congress where nothing happens until a funding bill comes along. Like, this stuff happens quickly. Lots of people don't have time to keep up with it. They've got their other jobs and lives. And so that, that makes it easy for, for politicians to do whatever they want. Yep. And so the Holler's really good at, at covering this and trying to be, like, the best watchdogs that they can be, and they're really good at it. Yeah, I'm really excited. I, I was unable to make it to the interview, um, unfortunately, but... I am really excited to hear from him um, just because I follow I follow his work really closely. I mean, you kind of, you know, you kind of get addicted to it because it's, the content is just so good um, and, and it's it's all very relevant. And so I this is going to be a great interview. Yeah, we hope you all enjoy it and we'll get right to it. All right. Well, Justin, great to have you on Appod Latch. I'm really excited to talk to you because so I, I used to live in Nashville. I lived there for about five, maybe six years up until 2020. And so I was there for your congressional campaign. And I think the inception of the holler. And so I know firsthand like how desperately a progressive media outlet is really needed in a place like Tennessee. 
so I'm really excited to talk to you, but but first, I'd love to know a little bit more about you, your background, and how you kind of came to starting something like The Holler. I lived in LA for a long time, 15 years or so, met my wife while I was living there. We had a baby and kind of wanted to raise a family somewhere else. Had a good friend who was living here in the Nashville area, came and visited him, fell in love with it. And my wife got a job offer. So we moved. That was in 2016. About six months later, a guy named Donald Trump won. And uh, it was kind of an earthquake for everybody. And it left me feeling like, you know, how do I get involved? How do I help? And at that point, I had already developed some strong feelings about Marshall Blackburn. And so I went around <laughs> looking for who was going to run against her because I wanted to help them. I thought that was something I could do locally. She was a congresswoman at the time and nobody was doing it. Come to find out she had been running pretty much unopposed for a long time. So I spoke to a few people. I felt like a carpetbagger, but somebody had to do it. So I, I jumped in to run against her. Pretty soon she decided she was running for Senate. So I ran against a guy named Mark Green. I won a you know, pretty hotly contested primary against a guy that on paper should have kicked my ass. Uh, but we worked really hard, you know, did a lot of video showing that we were working hard and I think people responded to the campaign that we ran. So ended up winning pretty handily in the primary lost to Mark Green in the general election, just because it's a very red district, but I still wanted to stay involved and keep fighting for, you know, what I felt like was right here in Tennessee. So when I was running, I could really feel there was not a lot of, you know, progressive messaging here. There was a thing called the Tennessee star, which was kind of Breitbart for the right. And it didn't feel like we had a counterweight, on the on you know what people would call the left, but I would just call it the truth uh, here in Tennessee. So we started that in 2019, and uh, it kind of took off because I feel like it was really what was missing, or some a part of what was missing, not all of what was missing, obviously, but it was missing here, and people responded. So we're now a you know a progressive, uh, like you said, watchdog organization. We have ten hollers throughout the state. You know, and we're just kind of a voice for the people where people supported. And I'm I'm proud of what we've built. You know, we've kind of become a, a clearinghouse for stories throughout the state. And, you know, we've had some victories. Obviously, there's a long way to go here. Yeah, I'm glad you, you brought that up. You mentioned, I remember when I first started seeing stories pop up from, from the Tennessee Star, which is, like you mentioned, basically a baby Breitbart, and they've expanded to different states, which is annoying. But it Tennessee is already a politically difficult state for progressives as it is. So it, what you do is really important. And one of the things that you all are known for is simply just covering the crazy shit that happens in the Tennessee legislature on a day to day basis, which is a lot of crazy shit. And this is um, this is something that like you, you all been really great at just covering what happens, making viral videos out of it and just trying to put together short clips and sound bites to really just inform people of what's going on, because a lot of people don't really have the time to do that. Uh, I was wondering if you could maybe just talk a little bit about that, maybe like like how you came to really start doing that type of, of watchdog journalism. Well, I think part of why it's not talked about is because it's so boring. Yeah, <laughs> You know, sure. like if you go to the legislature and spend a little time trying to follow it, I mean, your eyes are going to glaze over pretty quickly. So, you know, what we try to do is we try to be the eyes for the people and pull out the moments that you really need to see and make it engaging in that way. So, you know, how I came to that was just kind of organically because my background's in video producing, writing, editing. And uh, so video is kind of the way that I think. And I just feel like it's easier to argue with somebody who writes that something happened than it is like when you're seeing video of the words coming out of that person's mouth. So I've always felt like video is a really you know, effective way of communicating. I'm not breaking any news there. I think a lot of people are feeling that way, but it just seems like with the skepticism in our state, it's really important to have irrefutable evidence that things are happening. So, you know, we've just tried to bombard the airwaves with clips and video and make it really shareable and keep it short and simple and respect the fact that people have a million things they could be looking at. And that's kind of the way that I think. So, you know, in the very beginning when we started, the first video that we ever posted was of Speaker Cassida, who was my representative at the time, who empowered a guy who admitted on tape 
that he had abused young girls as their basketball coach. He apologized to one of them and she recorded him. And even after that, Cassida made him chair of an education subcommittee. So I went to ask him about that at a town hall. I videotaped our conversation that put him on CNN because he at one point said, if I was raped, I would move. He became the shortest serving speaker in Tennessee history and is now, I think, stocking grocery shelves somewhere. And not only because of us, you know, Phil Williams had a lot to do with that. And there was a lot of racism and sexism. But I like to say Phil Williams lit the match, but we sort of poured gasoline all over it. And that's kind of what we do. We pour gas on things. We don't let them go. We don't just mention them once. We mention them every day until you know that stuff as well as we do. And that's kind of what we are. We're like an attack dog for the truth. Absolutely. The analogy of throwing gas on it is really important because I feel like Maybe this is my bias creeping in, but people like former Speaker Cassida, you mentioned, and Senator Jack Johnson, who I think is the Senate Majority Leader, or at least in the leadership there, those types of folks, they're used to getting away with things. And that's not to downplay the great reporting that happens all the time in Nashville and throughout the state. I mean, like Phil Williams, for example, in News Channel 5 is one of the best reporters I've ever seen. And the Tennessee and the Tennessee Lookout, all those local outlets are doing really important work. But as we know, you know, local journalism is underfunded, under-resourced, so it's almost impossible for traditional outlets to cover all of what is happening at the legislature. So that's why it's good that, you know, organizations like the Holler exist so that they can continue to give the legislature headaches, because I think that all Tennesseans benefit from that. I did want to pivot, and one thing I wanted to mention, I've noticed that Nashville in general is starting to become a right-wing media headquarters in a way. You have Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire that relocated there. People like Mike Huckabee and his radio media apparatus are there. You have Tommy Laren that's relocated there. And it's pretty concerning. I'm interested in your take on this because I think they're polluting the national media waters pretty heavily for sure. And I imagine that especially in a state like Tennessee, it trickles down to polluting the media waters there as well. I mean, these people have gotten involved in very local issues in local politics and have been blowing them up and making them national issues. I, I'd love to get your take on this and how concerned you are for, for this and for the work that you do. Oh, it's deeply concerning. Uh, it's very clear that, you know, there's a magnet here in Tennessee and Nashville that is drawing all of those voices here, whether it's, you know, the low tax environment or just the fact that the Republican supermajority has a stranglehold on politics or both, you know, it's clear that we are the place that people are coming to, to, you know, peddle their disinformation. And, you know, I'm extremely concerned about it and I wish more people were speaking up about it. It's why they're having such an easy time pushing their slate of hate. You know, as I've said, this has gotten worse and worse, you know, from 2019 to now, Every successive session has been worse, has been more filled with hateful legislation, you know, has been bolder. And I I don't see any real pushback. You know, Democrats can only do so much. They're in a super minority. You know, the media is overwhelmed most of the time. Uh, There are so many bills to pay attention to that it's just hard for everybody to wrap their brains around it. And the business community really, frankly, has been pretty quiet. So where is the pushback going to come from? I don't know. And they probably don't know either. And that's probably why they're coming here. Yeah, that's a great point. And um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So one thing I'm I'm curious about is kind of how you operate. So you have so much happening at the legislature. I mean, we just talked about this a couple of weeks ago where there is a bill and a resolution to essentially... Um, expand the Republican majority even more in different local elections. And for most people, they don't have the time to read everything that's happening at the legislature. They've got their lives that they live. They're not political junkies like you and me. Um, so you have a lot of work to do to reach people. How, how do you operate? I mean, do you have a staff? Do, is it just you? Like, how does the holler actually work? We've had staff at times. Uh, it's in and out, you know, our regional haulers are mostly on a volunteer basis. Uh, we don't have a big operation, you know, but the one thing that has been a, a godsend is what we've tried to tell people is that they are the hauler so that people out there in their communities, you know, we need your eyes and ears. You are the hauler. And so most of what we end up learning about or hearing about comes from regular people who know that we're here, know that we're a place to bring things to, And so a lot of what we end up having to do is just sift through our inbox uh, 
just to figure out like what to spend our time on, what's real, what isn't. And, uh, and, and, you know, in that way, that's how we operate. So, you know, we're a small run and gun operation, you know, I'm the only one that's really full time on it, but we have regional haulers throughout the state and we have people who help us by, you know, telling us what to focus on. And then we just try to run as fast as we can to keep, keep up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what would you say your goals are with the hauler? I mean, how are you hoping to, to build this, this kind of media apparatus and do you have certain regional or localized versions? Like you've got some in Crossville, Memphis, uh, tri cities, those types of places, a bunch of other ones. What, what, what would you say like your long-term plans are for, for this? I mean, one day it would be nice to turn these regional haulers into like full-time people. And, you know, it would be nice to see haulers in other States. And, you know, I, I just feel like this sort of form of, openly progressive, unabashedly, you know, committed to these policy ideas that we stand for, not the party, but the policy ideas. You know, I think there's a lot of room for that. And, you know, the support that we've gotten from the community has been incredible and overwhelming and it allows us to do what we do. So I hope we can keep that going and growing and and have more people doing this stuff uh, because it, it feels like right now more than ever, you know, what we need is not uh, both sidesism, you know, what we need is media and activism and, and whatever you want to call it, that's willing to stand up to the things that are happening and, and call them what they are and, you know, not just sort of normalize it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you consider just the blatant disregard for democratic principles, oftentimes that are happening at some of these state legislatures. And, you know, I I recall a day when, when the Republican Party used to brand itself as the party of small government. I think it was like mostly pre-Trump and that that's, you know, oftentimes questionably never been the case, but especially now, you know, you have these bills that try to restrict health care for transgender people that try to ban drag shows. That's that's not small government. The, the GOP is the government overreach party. I mean, the idea that they that in any way stand for small <laughs> government is laughable. They're telling people how to dance now with this drag show felony bill. They're taking health care away from trans people and trans kids. They're telling us, you know, we can't smoke They're You know, it, it's just every single or, or not smoke, but, you know, medical marijuana, right, right. you know, they're telling kids what books they can't read, overreaching into cities and counties. They won't let counties or cities raise their minimum wage, even if they want to. And there's nothing small government about Republicans. They are only small government when they agree with you. If they don't agree with you, then they are fascists and big government. And Tennessee is a theocracy, plain and simple. I mean, if you look at the actions of a lot of times of the legislature, that's that's a hard claim to refute. You mentioned something, the kind of last thing I wanted to bring up is the business community, because oftentimes, at least in the past, maybe not the very recent past, the business community has kind of been a bulwark for Republicans because they oftentimes have to rely on, you know, their donations and 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 catering more to corporate interests. I know both parties tend to do that, but, but particularly Republicans. And they seem to have stayed pretty quiet um, on a lot of this stuff. I mean, you have massive companies that are headquartered in Tennessee. Nashville is is a healthcare hap- capital. It's got a Fortune 100 healthcare company there, multiple others. You've got FedEx. You've got International Paper in Memphis. I just, you know, I guess maybe I'm being too generous, but I would have thought that maybe they would have weighed in at some point, but I guess not. Well, I think they think they just want to stay out of it. And mm. my message to them would be, there is no staying out of it. You are either pushing back against this stuff or you're normalizing it. And by trying to stay out of it, you're normalizing it. So, you know, yeah, HCA, there's all kinds of businesses. Some of them probably actually agree with this stuff, but, you know, the ones that don't, I think are, first of all, they're being short-sighted because if, at some point there's going to be a backlash. Mm-hmm. But I also think that they are enabling our slide away from all of the things that, you know, most of us believe we need to stand for, like democracy, equality, inclusion, tolerance. You know, the trans issues may not seem like their issues, but they're all of our issues because they're encroaching on our their freedoms. They're encroaching on our freedoms. And, you know, you can't pick and choose when you stand up for what's right. So I know it's scary, but the truth is no easy decision in this equation. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think uh, you know you make a good point with that with them wanting to stay out of it because I, I feel like businesses are often like that nowadays. They don't want to weigh into the political fray because they view it being too dangerous for them, and it's a shame because they actually do have some degree of influence. Um, my last question for you relates to activism and and what people can do. Tennessee is probably, I would argue, one of the most gerrymandered states in the country. I mean, as you know, the last time they redrew the congressional maps, this most recent time, they split Nashville into three districts and eliminated a Democratic seat effectively that Jim Cooper had held for, for God knows how long. Um, they, they've had a stranglehold on electoral politics for a while, although it didn't always used to be like that. At one point, Democrats had a supermajority and a trifecta of government. It was not all that long ago. I think it was still under the Bredesen administration. Uh, there are a lot of progressives uh, that we talk to that get increasingly disheartened by state politics. This is not exclusive to Tennessee. We see it in my home state of West Virginia and Mississippi and Alabama all the time. What um, what is like your suggestion for people who want to get those wheels of change turning? It may not like, and the change doesn't happen overnight. We know that we saw that uh, a case study for that is Georgia. But what are what are some things that like Tennesseans who want to get involved, who want to uh, pursue progressive causes, but they feel kind of disheartened? What would you suggest uh, that they do? Well. The good news is there's all kinds of people on the ground in these places putting in the work to push back, you know, the the ones that come to mind, you know, Equity Alliance, Tennessee Equality Project, Planned Parenthood's here, you know, there's all a Turk, there's all kinds of different organizations, pick your, you know, uh, issue and and find somebody to plug into. And, you know, but but the truth is, it's not going to be like, oh, you know, maybe I'll make a couple phone calls and like then I'll check that off my list. No, this is something that you have to deal with every single day that you have to be involved with every day. This is a process, a long-term project. Like you said, it's not going to happen overnight. But, you know, democracy is not a spectator sport. That's I think what the last few years have taught us all and you have to care enough to want to spend the time to push back as much as you possibly can. Because I'll tell you what, it's happening on the other side. You know, I, I I will say that to their credit, the push to put us in this position has been a long-term plan by Republicans and the billionaire donors behind them mm-hmm. for decades. So, you know, I think some people are starting to wake up to that now. They've started at local levels, growing their benches. You know, I think there has been sort of a uh a a ease. A, a, a relaxation on the part of Democrats and, and progressives in some ways, because, you know, maybe at the national level to be in charge of the Congress or the Senate or even the White House at times. But, you know, what's going on on the ground is a very direct, intentional effort to push us into a theocratic fascist state that many states already are. And so I hope that people will pay attention to what's happening in Tennessee because it's really the breeding ground for what's coming your way next. Yeah, I, I wish that you were wrong on that last point, but sadly, I don't think you are. Well, anyway, Justin, I really appreciate the work that you do. For everybody listening, check out The Holler. I'll put the links in the show notes. Support them if you can and follow them and follow the work that they're doing because uh, y'all are doing some really important work. So thanks so much. Thanks so much, Chuck. I appreciate you having me on. All right, that was our interview with Justin Canoe, and we've got an under the radar before we head out. And um, this is a, I gotta say, for me, kind of a, a depressing one, I should say. So this, honestly, the it is it's about the UMWA, the United Mine Workers of America strike in Bessemer, Alabama, or excuse me, Brookwood, Alabama. Um, we've talked about this strike multiple times. This strike has honestly been under the radar a lot, but for certain journalists and outlets covering it, should have gotten way more attention than it did, especially by the national media and by national politicians. Um, unfortunately, the strike, it hasn't, I, I don't know what to call it because it's ended, but it hasn't ended. The workers are going back to work. It is certainly a concession, um, and what I'll do is I'm giving some details of what happened. Go and watch the Valley Labor Report and read 
uh, the article that was by Kim Kelly. Those are both going to be in the show notes. Those people have been covering this incredibly well and way more closely than we have. Valley Labor Report, especially, has, is they're from Alabama. They live in Alabama, and they're very, very close to the story. Kim Kelly was pretty much like one of the only journalists, save a few, who were really covering this since the beginning and and really platformed this this uh, this strike and gave it the attention it deserved. So on February 15th, it was about a week and a half ago, they gave notice to Warrior Met Cole that they would be doing an unconditional offer to return to work. This is 23 months after more than 1,000 miners in Brookwood, Alabama, walked out on their employer, Warrior Met Cole. Well, part of the reason why this happened and necessitated is that the company had reported its results for the fourth quarter and full-year earnings, and they raked in humongous profits. So despite this strike ongoing for almost two years, and it'll be two years by the time they go back to work, um, the price of coal went up. So the, the company ended up still making a lot of money. The strike had not had the desired economic impact, essentially. Uh, in 2022, for example, Warrior Met pulled in more than $640 million in net income. And so, like I mentioned, the union sent an unconditional offer to return to work. That's like the legal jargon for it. And they would implement the return to work of hundreds of UMWA miners while giving the union and the company time to work out a new agreement because they still need to rehash a new contract. Warrior Met confirmed that received the letter. They haven't had any additional comment, at least from the time that I read the story. Um, And after the news broke, the union emphasized that the strike had not ended and would not end until they walked back into the mine and that the fight had instead moved into a new phase. I, I don't, I'm not close enough to this story to know what to make of it. I mean, that sounds kind of like sugarcoating it a little bit. I don't know, though. I don't want to, like, infer anything different. But, I mean, this is obviously not what any of the workers wanted. Yeah. I, I This is just so heartbreaking. Um, mm-hmm. these, these workers and not just the people who were, their paychecks were on the line, but their families as well have put their hearts and souls and bodies and families on the line. And mm-hmm. and for this to be the conclusion of one of the most I I mean it is like the longest strike in a in a really long time, but like also longest in Alabama history, yeah, I believe. Um but also just like one of one of the most effectively like to to like effective messengers of a union message. I feel like like they have spread the union gospel throughout the country, whether or not they were successful. So to see it end this way and go go down this road for them is just such a, a horrific, disheartening result. Yeah, it's it's really heartbreaking to see because you like you said i mean these people they gave up paychecks they gave up you know money that they'd be earning for their families they they it was deliberately putting themselves on hard time and but that's what you have to do yeah. in order to to have solidarity and and to make like a union effort work and the unfortunate part is sometimes it doesn't you know this is a, a massive company and the the economic tides turn in their favor. I mean, this is this is not your traditional coal. That's an important point. Yeah. And um, and you know the people that work there and, and their spouses explain it way better than I, I can. But uh, it's coking coal. It's coal that's it's metallurgical coal. I think it's a technical term, mm-hmm. but I believe the 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 colloquial term is coking coal. And my dad actually knows a lot about it because they used it um, in his plant. Uh, it's used to make steel, I mm-hmm. believe. That's my steel and I think aluminum, uh, possibly manganese, because that's what my dad had at his work. I know he used coke and coal a lot. I, I know that. That's all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could probably tell you a lot more about it than I could. But so that it's not just your typical like rock, black rock coal that you use to burn and, and, and creates energy that way. This is like used to make steel and steel production has, I think, gone up. And so the, the, the economic impact was not what they hoped or thought it would be. Yeah. And it sucks. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of all this. I don't know. I think we're more is going to come out about this. So I don't want to make too many inferences. It's just I just feel bad for for these miners and their families who gave up so much for this. Yeah. And and I don't think that this is any fault to anybody or anything. I think this is just how the tides are turning, and it it became clear that their efforts were not going to give them the desired result. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that they're definitely hedging what they're saying right now um, because they are going back to work and now they have to deal with there's there's absolutely going to be retaliation. Um, there's absolutely going to be consequences that we won't hear about. Um, you know, people who were scabs are going to now be people who, you know, exposed them. They're going to be their bosses again. And, and, you know, those are things that interpersonally are really difficult when you do go back to work in some of these situations. And so I think that they're really hedging the language that they're using and hopefully through more reporting from people like Kim Kelly and the Valley Labor Report, we will get more on what's actually happening. Um, But this is, it's really just, it's a tragedy and we can continue to show them support. They're going to need it. Um, Mm -hmm. and again, I just, I think that really centering the impact on families, um, is, is really what we have to do in this situation and understanding that this is going to be a long, this is going to be a long process for these families to, to deal with, because it's not just like some big company that is way out of your community. These people are all in the same community. These are your neighbors that you're now dealing with again. And, 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 the those kind of community breakups and makeups and things can can follow you for years. And so that's that's the thing that I think is is really tough about this. Yeah. Uh, like I said, yeah, and you, you hit the nail on the head perfectly. I don't have anything to add to that. Um, again, follow those two. Follow Kim Kelly, Valley Labor Report. Toss, toss a couple bucks their way if you can. They both have Patreons and they do really important work. So if you have the money, definitely um, uh, support what they do. Um, And thank you for supporting us by listening to this show, and we will see you back here next week.